Well, good morning to you. A little advert, a little commercial uh, before I start. I've been going out to uh, Uganda for the last couple of years to teach pastors there with a school of ministry. I've gone out in uh, May for the last couple of years and I'm going out again this year for one week. Normally I've been for a couple of weeks, but uh, there are sufficient people who have been there that they only need me for a week this, this particular time to be able to teach pastors with a school of ministries, etc. And on this occasion that I'm going out, I've uh, been asked to share about growing in Christ. And this is particularly for new Christians uh, to enable these pastors to perhaps run a, a training course for new Christians. And uh, the advert in this particular case is that um, many of you uh, in this country have probably had the opportunity to go out to conferences, etc. And you thought, that is a wonderful message. I would like to have a copy of that which has been said. And you've come away with a little disc. And you said, I've got to listen to that once again. You may have listened to it, or most likely you've put it away somewhere and you've forgotten about it and you haven't heard it again because you've heard it once you don't need to hear it again you think if you have got one of those discs somewhere or another and you never look at it you never listen to it it might be a DVD or it might be just a uh, an audio tape I would like to be able to take it out with me to be able to give it to the pastors out there seven or eight years ago before the school of ministries went out there these pastors and these churches would not speak to one another uh, they would feel that if they got anywhere near any other church, their members would go to that church and they would lose them and so their income would be there. They wouldn't speak to one another. And since School of Ministries have been there, the last seven or eight years particularly, the pastors have been working together. And last year after I left, they set up a resource centre which they want to use so that everybody can use this resource centre. They want to uh, build it up and have a place that people can come, pastors can, and use the resources there. Particularly, they've got a loudspeaker and a generator and things like that. And I'm hoping this year that the church will give me a little gift to take out as part of our love gift to the, this particular uh, group over there. They call it, wonderful name, I think they call it um, Gospel Revolution International. You know, you know what, what Africans are like, it's the sort of the titles they have. But it's really it's a, a resource centre there. And I would like to be able to take out a little gift for them so they can have a computer to be able to use. They're, they're doing counselling, open to do counselling there. They're open to do ministry and outreach and, and uh, onto the streets, evangelism, etc. They want to use it as a place that can be used as a resource centre. They would like some, some a computer. And I'm hoping that we can send a little gift out which will be used towards a computer. And these discs that you might have got somewhere, I could take them out and they might be able to use them. Many of them there are, don't speak English, but there are people out there who, pastors out there who can understand English. They have difficulty understanding my accent at times. They say, Dave, I cannot translate for you because of your accent. Someone else would do it, but um, it will be useful. So if you've got anything like that, bring it along and give it to me next week. Next Sunday will be my last Sunday here before I go out. I go out at the beginning of May. Does that clear? You know, these little MP3, I think, the players or something like that, I think, you know, little disc anyway. If you've got anything like that, I can put in my suitcase and take out. I haven't got uh, uh, as many notes 
as uh, usual because I usually take about three, three kilograms of student notes out there because I'm only doing one week so I can take out some of these little discs if you can bring them to me next week. That's the commercial. What does God want to say to us this morning? Having been around Phil for a long time and having met up with him uh, regularly for, for a number of years now, uh, I've come to realise that he very often will say to me, and I know that he says this to Daphne, I was thinking about the church or I was thinking about the kingdom of God last night and I had this idea. He is always thinking about the church. He's always thinking about the kingdom of God. Wherever he is, he cannot go on holiday without thinking about that. He's doing it all the time. And something of that has started to rub off onto me. For the last nine months particularly, since we've been looking at what on earth is an apostolic house, I've been going to sleep at night thinking about apostolic house. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking about apostolic house. Amen. And when I get up in the morning, I'm thinking about apostolic house. Amen. So it's, it's going around in my mind all the time, and I'm thinking about apostolic house. Uh, and you think, what on earth is this, and what's going on, and what's being said? And one of these things, in the middle of the night, I wake up, and I'm thinking about an apostolic house, and what on earth is this all about? And God said to me, preparedness. Preparedness. What on earth is that? I thought it was a word I'd made up. I, you know, I, I, I didn't know that such a word existed. Uh, and so I, I thought I'd better find out what this was. Have I made it up? Is it something of my imagination? Or is God speaking to me about preparedness? And I looked at my concise little dictionary... And it wasn't there. I thought, oh, I must have made it up. So I went to the source of all information. Google. Google. All right. I Googled it. What is the meaning of preparedness? And I found that it was a word. It did exist. It wasn't a figment of my imagination. And therefore God was wanting to speak to me. And wanted to speak to us about preparedness. The diction, dictionary definition of preparedness is this. It's a state of being prepared or readiness. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Similar words to that might be alertness, preparation, willingness, zeal, mobility, so are we prepared? Are we ready? Ready for what? Ready for apostolic house. Ready for this new thing that God wants to do in us and through us and with us. We hear a lot about Brexit. It's going to take two years minimum for Brexit. For the new thing, the new whatever it is that's coming in. 
and everybody's complaining they don't know what Brexit means. But whatever it is, it's going to be there, and we're going to have two years to prepare us for it. It might well take longer than that. What is the new thing that God is doing? God is saying he's doing a new thing. Are we prepared? Are we being prepared for this new thing? Phil and Daphne are going on. They're moving on to the new thing with them. God is wanting to prepare us for the new thing that he has for us. And we might not have a lot of time. The months are going by. Are we prepared? Are we ready? And so I'm encouraging you to think about how prepared are you? How prepared am I for this new thing that God wants to do? How prepared are we for this apostolic house? You see, when Jesus came upon the earth as a baby, not many people were prepared for him. If you read the Gospels, you'd think there were only a few people. There was Simeon, and there was Anna, the prophetess. And when Jesus was presented at the, the temple, they were the ones that were ready. They were expecting the Messiah. And when Jesus came, they realised and recognised that this was it. This was the one they'd been waiting for. The religious people, people like you and I perhaps, were expecting something completely different. They were not ready for the arrival of Jesus. The religious people were expecting something else. And like many of us today, they need to change their thinking. And we need to change our thinking as well. John the Baptist was sent. What was his message? He was sent to prepare the people for the arrival of Jesus. He announced Jesus' coming. And he was preparing the people to receive him. It says in Mark 1 verse 2, he says, I will send my messenger ahead of you, one who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Over recent months, God has been speaking to us through the prophet Isaiah about preparing a highway in the wilderness, preparing a, a highway for the return of Jesus, for Jesus to come in a wilderness, in the desert places, for God to turn to this land, to return to this land. Are we looking for the return of Jesus? Are we really looking for the return of God in our land, we need God in our land these days more and more. God is there wanting to come. Are we willing, are we wanting to receive him? Are we willing to prepare the way for him to come? God, John's ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival. And we have a ministry here to prepare for the arrival of Jesus, for his God's presence to be here. Like John, our focus must be pointing 
towards Jesus. The answer to everything is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to my every need. Jesus is the answer. It's the Sunday school thing. Whenever you ask a child in Sunday school what a question, the answer is always Jesus. That's what you've got to remember, Sunday school. We point Jesus, we focus Jesus, we focus on Jesus. And John called upon these religious leaders to repent. That was his message to the people at the time. To repent. And the Greek word used here is metanoia. It means to change your mind. It's not saying sorry. You remember your children when they're growing up, they do something wrong, and you say to them, say sorry. Sorry. <laughs> they say sorry, but they don't really mean it, do they? You know they don't mean it, because they haven't changed their mind. It's not, it's not doing something or saying something or other. There's a change of mind. There's a change of attitude. And we need to have that change in mind. God's calling us to repent. And that means to change our mind. And God's talking to us about changing our minds, transfer, transforming our minds so that we think the same way as Jesus does. Be transformed. Re have your minds renewed. God's been saying to this over and over these last few months. And with John, John called for action. It wasn't just words only. It needed an ethical change, not mere lip service. This change that God wants to do in us, we're not going to give it just lip service and say, oh, we'll put a, a coat of paint over something and that's, that's it. This is radical change. And we need to prepare. We need to prepare ourselves. If God's building an apostolic house amongst us, then the foundations need to be done. You'll see that in the building work at the centre. That will be pictorial. The building work needs foundations. And you'll see the foundations, the, the bit that's underground, the bit that's not seen. It's not the stuff that's out on the top that's important so much. The foundations are there. We did an extension in our house so many years ago. And the extension and, and the, the uh, foundations for the extensions were much, much deeper than the foundations for the house. I think the foundations for the house are probably a couple of feet. It was five or six feet that I had to put in, we had to put in for this extension. It was only a, a one floor extension compared with two floors and a roof for the rest of the house. The foundations are important. We need to get rid of our wrong ideas of who Jesus is and have our minds constantly renewed by the Holy Spirit. This is transformation. This is metamorphosis. I've said this to you before. This is a complete change and we need to be ready. Are you ready? Are you getting ready? Are you getting prepared for this complete change that God wants to do with us? So what does it mean to prepare the way? It really means creating a favourable environment or make it easy for God to come to us and operate in our lives. Create a good environment or the right environment, an easy way so that God can come and operate and live in our lives. We don't want to make it difficult for God to do what he wants to do. 
And apparently John the Baptist was creating a favourable environment and making it easy for Jesus to enter in and to operate in the lives of the people. That was his mission. He was preparing, preparing things for Jesus to come and to operate. He preached repentance. Repentance of sins. He baptised people for the remission of their sins. He was getting people ready for Jesus' arrival by getting them to turn from their sins and repent. This change of mind, change of thinking coming in. And we need to repent of our sins and turn from them and receive forgiveness. That's what uh, 1 John 1 verse 9 is about. Confessing our sins, turning from them, repenting, changing our mind, changing our thinking so that we prepare the way for Jesus to operate in our lives. And by confessing and turning from our sins, we are in a good position to prepare the way for the Lord to move in our lives, yes, but also in the lives of other people as well. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, one of the things that I want to encourage you to do in these days that lie ahead of us, and to some extent, time is running short, I encourage you to start practising the one another's. Look up those verses in Scripture which talk about one another. One another. Turn with me to Ephesians 4, and perhaps we can put it up on the screen. You might also like to look in your version of Ephesians 4, because we this is what God's been saying to us. We've been looking at these this passage quite a lot. Ephesians 4 is all about, as we've been saying, about equipping or preparing people for ministry and works of service. Verse uh, 12. I don't know what it says in your uh, uh, version. Uh, I think the old version of the NIV talks about preparing. Uh, verse 12. Uh, some people talk about uh, equipping or preparing. This is all about preparing. Preparing the way. Ephesians 4 verse 12. Equipping people for ministry and works of service. In my Bible, I don't know what it's like in yours, it's headed unity and maturity in the body of Christ. I might pick up this aspect of maturity at a later time. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. This is what we're looking for. We're looking for a unity and oneness. Look at, look at verse 2, for example, Ephesians 4, verse 2. It says that we are to be completely humble and gentle. We are to be patient, bearing with one another in love, and to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's all about keeping the unity. We don't have to make the unity. It's keeping it. But we need to bear with one another. We need to be humble. We need to be gentle. 
We need to be patient with one another and bearing with another. And this is particularly important for us at Hope here in these days as we go through that transition. It's going to be different, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be awkward, it's going to be strange, and it's, 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 not, it's not going to be comfortable in many ways. We need to bear with one another. We need to be patient with one another. We need to be like Jesus as we treat one another. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in some of these circumstances? There are going to be things that are really going to annoy you. People will do things, people will say things, and you'll get upset. You'll get upset with me, that's for certain. <laughs> we need thick skins in these days, but we need to be patient, we need to bear with one another. We need to practice the one another. So start practicing the one another's in these days. We need to make every effort to keep the unity. We need to make an effort to keep the unity. We need to make an allowance for one another's faults. We need to make every effort to keep the unity in the spirit binding ourselves together with peace. If you look at the end of that chapter as well, it's a wonderful chapter. Ephesians 4 verse 32. It also says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ. God forgave you. We need to be kind. We need to be compassionate to one another. We need to be forgiving. We will make mistakes. We will mess it up. We will do things wrong. But we need to forgive one another in this process as well. If you look at the early church and you look at those uh, first early, what did the early church do when it met together? Acts 2 and verse 42 and 46. If you want to know what a church should look like, it's a good place to start there. They met together, didn't they? They met together. That was one of the things that they did. There was a coming together. They just loved being together with one another. They loved being with the apostles. They just loved being with other Christians. It would seem that they, they couldn't help themselves, but they were being with one another. They, they, they were there all the time. It says every day they were doing this. Some of us, you know, struggle to come here in a church, to come together here once or twice a month. But the early church were meeting together every day. That's a good start. Let's meet together. We might not be able to do it every day. Once a week would be wonderful. But during the week as well. Or don't you like other people? 
the early church just loved being with the apostles. They loved being with the other Christians. They wanted to spend all their time with other people. What about you? Can't wait to get away. One o'clock, I've had my tea, I'm off. What about meeting together? Coffee times, whenever. Meals in people's homes, or, or just bump into people in the street, you know. Phone call, text messages. Let's keep in contact, let's be with one another. Let's practice these one another's. You see, if you read the scriptures, it would seem that after a while, this early enthusiasm for meeting with one another had worn off a little bit. And the apostles, Paul in particular, had to remind the early churches in his letters to the early churches. He said, don't forsake the meeting together, the gathering together of the people. They were not meeting together again. They were having a Sunday off. They were having two Sundays off perhaps. And he says, don't forsake. I've said this to you, I think there are only two instructions. I, I personally feel there are only two instructions about church. You meet together and you all have a part to contribute. That's, basically, that's it. You, you meet together and you contribute together. But Paul had to remind the church not to neglect their commitment to gather together, but to look for ways Look for ways that we can encourage people. Look for ways that we can spur people on. Look for ways we can bless people. Look for ways we can build one another up. Look at the one another's in the Bible and start practicing the one another's. And if they apply to the early church, it applies to us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11 encourages the church there to look for ways which we can encourage and build one another up. Do you look for ways which you can encourage people and build them up? <laughs> people are so annoying and difficult, do you know that? People are annoying and difficult. We had a saying in British Telecom that if it wasn't for the customers, and if it wasn't for the engineers, and if it wasn't for all the people that tended to use our equipment, it would work perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> the cables worked, the equipment worked, it was brilliant. It was the people that were the problem. They messed it up. They used it wrong, and the engineers were always fiddling around with things, and it broke. If you didn't have the people, the communication system would work perfectly. People are a problem, aren't they? They're so difficult, they're so annoying, and you know what? We're right, and everybody else is wrong. The trouble is, is that they say the same thing about you. It's always the other person that's the problem. I'm right, someone else is wrong. You know when they march or the soldiers march and you suddenly find there's one person out of step? 
Well, that soldier's mum thinks that their son, daughter, that they're in step and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> People are so annoying. They're so trying, aren't they? You know, that's why we need the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. We particularly need long-suffering. We need to be long-suffering, don't we? We need to have a gentleness about us. We need to have goodness. Because we're having to deal with difficult people. People like you and I. People who drive us up the bend. <laughs> drive us completely mad. People who are so annoying. In Philippians 2 verses 2 to 4, Paul calls on us to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Are we looking out for one another? You see, one of the key ingredients for us here at Hope and as church is that we're family. Mm -hmm. We're family together. Yeah. And in family, there's a special bond, or there should be, in healthy families. My sister and I, we might fight like mad, but we will look after one another. Whatever happens in your family, you'll find the same thing happens. We might fight one another, but we, we're a family. We'll defend family to everybody else. We're to be devoted to one another. The same mutual love and commitment that's found within a healthy family. We're to take delight in giving precedence and showing honour and respect to one another. This is what, we've got to practice these things, beloved. Respect and honour to one another. And this means affirming the wonderful things that God does in the lives of people. We've got to affirm people. We've got to honour what God is doing in the lives of someone else. And we see this demonstrated so remarkably in the Bible. And we find it in the three persons of God. They are always honouring one another. The three persons of God are always honouring one another right the way through Scripture. Jesus honours the Father and the Spirit. The Father is honouring Jesus and the Spirit. I believe he gets so excited for Jesus. He gets so excited about his son that he can't contain himself and he shouts out from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Because that's, that's who he is. He's honouring his son. He cannot contain himself. 
He so appreciates his son. And the Spirit honours and is always giving glory to the Father and to the Son. You see, for all of eternity, God has been honouring and has been engaged in the interaction of honour. And now he invites us to be part of that. He invites us, his church, to be involved in that honouring of one another and building up one another, respecting one another. Honour is central to who God is and it should be the central in the lives of every Christian. It's about how we think. It's about how we think. God's been speaking to us, as I said to you before, about us needing to have our minds renewed so that we're able to test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Romans 12, perhaps we could pick this up as well. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed, completely changed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And you know the following verses in Romans 12, if you've got it in front of you, go on to tell us not to think more highly than we should, but in accordance with the faith that God has distributed and placed in us. Verse 3, that is. And the Greek word here for to think is phronio, which again is used in verse 16. If you've got 16 up in front of you. Paul here is addressing the need for right Christian thinking when it comes to our relationship with other Christians. So when he talks about uh, to live in harmony with other people, it literally means think the same things. Live in harmony, think the same things. And when it says, do not be proud, that literally means don't think arrogant things about people. And then when it says, do not be conceited, it means don't think you know it all. It's all about thinking. We need to have our minds transformed and changed so we think differently. We need to be prepared to change our thinking. We need to think the same way as God thinks. And that's part of our preparation in these days. So that we're thinking the same way that God thinks. Probably the biggest and most important, although they're all important in many respects, is the loving one another. Loving one another. The Apostle John is known as the Apostle that Jesus loved, and and he's the writer to the epistles of John. 
And one of the main themes, those of you who know your scriptures, of these epistles is a call to love God and to love other Christians. And John's first epistle, his first letter, emphasises how Christians experience God in their daily lives. And it's demonstrated by their relationship with one another in the church community. This is why we've got to practice loving one another. We must exhibit our love for God by loving one another. It's no good saying you love God and you hate everybody else. We demonstrate our love for God by the way that we love other people. And this command came straight from Jesus. We picked up a little bit of it last week when Phil was sharing uh, about that whole period of the Last Supper and the period up until the crucifixion. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Later on in John 14, verse 12, he goes on to say, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And again in John 14, verse 7, he says, This is my command, love each other. And we saw that last week. Phil emphasised that last week. That love and obedience go hand in hand. It's love and obedience. It's not just words. There is a need for obedience. And Jesus demonstrated his love for his Father by being obedient. His command was this. It was modelled by Jesus himself. It was dramatic and it was expressed in perfect obedience. Perfect obedience to God demonstrates love to one another and love for him. His command was that his disciples express their love for Jesus in committed obedience. We need to be obedient to what God is saying to us and we need to demonstrate that by loving one another. This is repeated, this message, this, this theme is repeated throughout the epistles of John. 1 John 3 verse 11 he says, This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's a command that we should love one another. It's not Jesus is saying, I think it would be very nice and the people would be very happy if you could love one another. This is my command to you that you love one another. Not it's a nice thing or it would be a good idea. This is a command which requires obedience. As God is love, those who received God's love should also love those and do the same. But a few weeks ago we also looked at that great passage in Ephesians 3 about knowing God's love. Ephesians 3 verse 16. Paul prayed to the church at Ephesus that they may be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit to know the love of God. The height, the depth, the breadth, the length, 
Everything. If we don't experience it through the power of the Holy Spirit, this love would blow us away. God's love is so big and fast and wonderful that if we really experienced it, we would just be blown away by it. We need to be empowered by the, by the Spirit of God. Without this power, without God's Spirit in us, we would be unable to receive or to know or to understand the whole love and the knowledge of it. How wide and deep, high and long is the love of God. It would shatter us. It would shatter us. If we saw the glory of God, if the Moses and the people on the Mount of Transfiguration, or not on the Mount of Transfiguration, but when he went up to receive uh, the Ten Commandments, the revelation there was such that they had to be holy to go up. The people couldn't go up, in fact. Not all of them, only Moses could go up. Because there was such a holiness there about it, there was such a power there, the glory and magnificence of God, that it would have killed them. They heard God's voice and they were still alive. And the same thing would happen to us if we experienced fully the love of God without the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It would shatter us completely. We wouldn't be able to contain it. We need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in order to get just a glimmer in knowledge of this glory. And as this love flows through us to each other, it becomes evident that we love God. We, we show our love for God by loving one another. And it's apparent in 2 John, in the second epistle of John, 1 verse 5, that John needed to write and to remind his readers of their need to love one another. And in the same way, we have to have that reminder that we too need to love one another today. You see, as Christians, we are commanded not to owe anything to anybody apart from love. We owe nothing to anybody except for our obligation to love one another. And believers are called to love all those they encounter and particularly to love each believer they come in contact with. You see, this is, this is the great command. <laughs> if there was only one command, if we only did one thing, if we're only able to do one thing, the great command, it's this. Jesus says to love God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. Love God completely and love your neighbour as yourself. If we're to grasp one thing, if we are to obey one thing, if one thing was really important, it's the great command. To love God utterly and to love one another. And the reason for this, Jesus explains it. Matthew 22, verse 40. All the law, all the prophets, hang on these two commandments. That's what the Bible is all about, to some extent. What is the Bible about? It's all about loving God completely and loving one another. And so if we did this, then that would be a start 
we would have covered most of the commands, we would have covered most of the Bible, if not all of it. Love one another. Those of you who've had children, those of you who've got children, will know that the key thing for a parent with their child is to prepare them for adulthood. That's what mums and dads are there for. They're to prepare their children for adulthood. And the same way, we are to prepare one another for adulthood, Christian adulthood. You can imagine that, that one of the most terrible things, one of the most saddest things, shall we say, in the world today is when you see a person who is old but is still living as a child. It's very sad, isn't it? A baby, you can expect to live in nappies and make tantrums and do strange things and spill their food all over the place. But when you see a grown-up doing that, whether they're in the 20s or 30s or 50s or 60s, it's very sad. Some of them can't help it. But you don't want your children to grow up and to remain as babies. You want them to grow up into adulthood. You want them to be able to live their lives as adults rather than having to look after them all the time, to feed them to give them clothes, to care for them all the time, that you want them to be able to look after themselves. And it's difficult. It's difficult for us parents to do that. Phil and Daphne's Joel and my son Steve both left in August, at the end of August last year. Left home, went to the other side of the world. Joel went to Hong Kong, my Steve went to California. We've been training them to leave home, but it was hard. Daphne and Phil, Daphne particularly, it's hard letting Joel go to the other side of the world. As she heard the other week, she cried when she met him and cried when she had to say goodbye to him. We found it difficult. We've been trying to get rid of Steve out of our home for about 20 years now. In the nicest possible way. But we didn't expect him to go to the other side of America. Thousands of miles away. But in, in some sense, that's what we were training him to be. We were preparing for him to leave and to have his own home and to do his own, to look after himself, to, to, yeah, to do what adults do, to grow up. And that's what we need to do with you. We don't want you to be babies. We don't want you to be children. We want you to grow up. We want to prepare you for Christian adulthood. The writer to the Hebrews is to uh, admonish his, uh, his readers. He writes to them. He says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need milk, not solid food. 
anyone who lives on milk being still an infant. Are we still infants? Are we still babies? Do we come here on a Sunday, sit here, we sit down, we open our mouths, and we have a bottle put into our mouths. <laughs> 